0: take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Acts chapter 3. I really do not want to teach chapter 3. I want to teach part of chapter 4. But in order to understand the fourth chapter, we will have to read the third chapter. On many occasion, on num- numerous occasions, I have taught among our people the third chapter. And of course, tonight, I do not feel that I want to particularly deal with that third chapter, but there are some tremendous things in that fourth chapter that I would like to share with our people tonight. But we're going to read. I'm going to read the third chapter and begin with the first verse. But before I read this, remember historically that this occurred sometime shortly after the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, these apostles were first born again of God's Spirit and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And after the day of Pentecost, in chapter 3, verse 1, you have this record. Now Peter and John went up together in the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. The ninth hour is three o'clock in the afternoon, our time. This is Jewish time. It's written in here. Verse 2. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. One of the reasons I want to teach the fourth chapter tonight is because the last time I taught this, I had to explain it to six people after the service or that following week, six or seven, who said to me, how come you made the statement saying that this man who was healed was an outstanding, prominent member of a family? They said, we can't read that in the Bible because I have always taught that this man was in the aristocratic section of society. He belonged to the upper 400 or 500. I don't know how many hundreds we got. He was a prominent man, and I have taught consistently that if you wanted to beg, if you wanted to beg, you wouldn't particularly sit at the temple gate to beg. You would get out among the people more than just at the temple. But some of these things I think you'll see later on tonight, why I have consistently taught this among our people. Well, anyways, this man was laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. Verse 3, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he, the man, gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why ye look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness? we have made this man to walk. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are what? boy, that 15th verse is tremendous. God hath raised from what. God would not needed to have raised him had he not been what? Dead. That's what it says, that's what it means. God raised him from the dead. Whereof we are what? Witnesses, witnesses, A witness is one who has seen it. A witness is one who knows the reality of it. And his name, verse 16, through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him, by Jesus Christ, hath given him, this man, this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I wot, I know, that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God, raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after as many as have spoken spoken about Christ, have likewise foretold of these days. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Unto you first, unto you first, Israel, unto you first, after Pentecost, God, Hath raised up his son Jesus, sent even him. The word "even" is in most of critical Greek texts to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities, his sins. And as they spake unto the people, as Peter and John spake to the people, the priests. And the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they, Peter and John, taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the what? What disturbed them? that's, That's always the disturbing reality even this present day. They would not have cared had they said that Jesus was a great man, that he was wonderful. A lot of people would have accepted that. That would not have disturbed them. But the point in issue that disturbed them was always the preaching of the resurrection. And this is still the point that disturbs people today. That Jesus really... Rose again from the dead. You see, Christianity rises or falls upon that truth. If God did not raise him from the dead, then our faith and our believing is all in vain. Then we do not have eternal life. Then, when you are manifesting the manifestations of the Spirit, you're not manifesting. It's all contingent and it all hinges. Upon the reality of the resurrection. And you cannot have a resurrection from the dead without somebody being dead. Else it would just be a resurrection from a stupor. Or an LSD jaunt or something. Or three boxes of aspirin. Then it would not be a resurrection from the dead. Well, watch this thing developed. And they laid hands on them. There you have the laying on of hands. And put them in hold in prison. The laying on of hands here is they seized them, you know, captured them, arrested them, gave them a ticket. They laid hands on them and put them in hold in prison until the next day for it was now eventide. It was too late to work on him that night took him put him in jail how be it, verse 4 many of them many of those people which had heard the word did what believed and that's great because how can a person believe except he hears what the word it's always tremendous peter and john really had taught the word and people had heard that word and when they heard about the resurrection as it teaches in the rest of the Bible and they believed in the resurrection what happened to them? They got saved born again of God's spirit. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Remember, thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus believe God raised him from what? Thou shalt be what? For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness with the mouth confessions made unto salvation. Okay. Many that had heard did what? Believed. Sure. And the number of men was about, what, 5,000. That's terrific. Imagine Peter and John preaching that sermon, or portions of which are set forth in that third chapter, which I read in detail to you tonight, or completely. They heard that sermon, and more than 5,000 men were converted. Imagine the crowd there must have been there present that day to have this many men converted if the proportion of response to the gospel was as bad then as it is now. They must have had a whopping big crowd, huh? 5,000 men. That means they perhaps had 10,000 women. But you see, they didn't count the women when they got to giving numerical number of the amounts like in Ephesus remember the story in Acts 19 there were how many men isn't it Acts 19 must we read it and all the men verse 7 were about how many about 12 they listed the men that does not mean there were not young people or women who got converted But on this day that we're reading about there were about 5,000 men added. Verse 5 And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred relative of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they, these rulers, had set them, Peter and John, in the midst, they set them in the midst of the Sanhedrin. They had a meeting of the consul. The ruling consul was composed of 70 This is why it's called a Sanhedrin, 70. These made up the ruling authority of the temple and of Judaism. And in the midst, these uh, men were all seated on their judges' chairs. And in the midst, they put Peter and John. And they asked them, By what power? By what power? There is a key. By what power or by what name have you done this? These men knew that there was power to do miracles, signs, wonders. These men knew that there were other names that could be used that had given great results. Therefore, their first question was, by what power? By what authority? By whose name do you do these things? Verse 5, then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. The text reads no article in the text. Then Peter filled with Numa Hagio, Holy Spirit. I thought Peter got filled in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, didn't he? Sure. But here is the verse they use that you have to get filled up and filled up again and again like an automobile tank that runs out of gasoline. A refilling, they call it. And infilling every time you need it is what they teach. You haven't always got it. But boy, if you're walking good enough, then when you really need it, God gives it to you again. It doesn't say that. You know why it says in here, then Peter filled with Numahagion with the gift? Because it's simply saying this because now he's going to show you that only a man who had been born again and filled with the Holy Spirit could have stood this test and given the answer. Because you'll see in operation the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and all these manifestations. And in order to produce those things, you must be born again and filled with the power doesn't say he just got filled then says in Acts 2 he got filled at that time this is just a statement that he was full sure then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost Numahagion, Holy Spirit said unto them ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel this is how I know it was the Sanhedrin they were the rulers of the people and they were called the elders of Israel Verse 9, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you, unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name, here he gives it, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God did what? Raised from the dead. Even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Tremendous statement, isn't it? They asked him by what power? In verse 7. And by what name? By what power or by what name did you do it? Did he answer that question? Very definitely. Right down the line right down the line. And then, that tremendous statement, even by him doth this man stand here before you, what? Whole. He just was not healed. He was healed plus. Because a man can be healed and still not be made whole. To be made whole is to be healed plus Remember the story of the ten lepers who came to Jesus? All ten were healed. One of those ten returned to Jesus to give thanks and the Bible says one was made whole. Only one was made whole. There's a tremendous difference in the Bible when it speaks about being healed or being made whole. A man could be healed and still not be made whole because to be made whole is to be born again of God's Spirit, to be saved, to be filled with the power of God. It is a mental, physical, spiritual completeness. You could be physically healed and still not be spiritually whole or healed. So when you have a spiritual completeness, a mental, a physical, everything, Then the Bible says they were made whole. Tremendous. Jesus of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Verse 11. This, Jesus of Nazareth, is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of earth. There is a tremendous statement. This is the stone. Jesus Christ is the stone which was set at naught by the builders. Who were the builders? The elders of Israel. The Sanhedrin. They were the ones who were in charge of building the word of God among God's people, right? But this Jesus of Nazareth, these builders set at naught. They said, he's no good. They said, crucify him. Yet, he has become the head of the corner. That's something. The stone which is set at naught by the builders. The builders didn't use it. And yet, the scripture says, he has become the head of the corner. How in the world can he become the head of the corner if the builders don't use it? Because there's a greater builder than just the men who were in the Sanhedrin because God raised him from the dead it was God who set him and God's a bigger builder than Caiaphas or Annas or any of the other rulers of the temple of the Sanhedrin and so those builders rejected it but God put him at the head isn't that tremendous? (laughs) Ha! <laughs> Wonderful! He has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There were many other names under heaven that the Sanhedrin knew of whereby people improved their life, whereby they lived a better life than they had ever lived before. But this record of Peter and John before the Sanhedrin set it so plainly, neither is there wholeness, salvation, in any other than Jesus of Nazareth, whom God raised from the dead. For there is no other name under heaven, which means there's no other name here upon earth, given among men, whereby we must be what? You cannot get saved in the name of any other person. The only way people can get saved is in the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men that does not mean stupid. They were called unlearned and ignorant because Peter and John had never attended the theological seminary. They had never graduated from the theological seminary of their denomination. Peter and John were not ignorant to the end that you would think of it today where you'd say, well, they were stupid. They weren't stupid. They just had not graduated from the proper echelons of acceptance in society. That's why they said... They were unlearned. I understand they were unlearned in the theological schools of the times. Well, thank God they were else. They might have been as far off as the rest of them sitting in the Sanhedrin. That's right. They were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled. Tremendous thing. Because they were bold. These men were bold. They marveled. And they took knowledge of them. That boy, they must have been with Jesus. That's right. That's something. All the difference in the world. These men were bold. Even though they had never graduated from the accepted theological schools of their times. And they were looked upon by the members of the Sanhedrin as being unlearned because they had never graduated from those schools yet they marveled at them and they took knowledge of them they recognized them saying well boy they must have gotten this then from Jesus verse 14 and beholding the man which was healed standing with them They could say nothing against it. The man who was healed was the testimony. He was their testimony. He was the testimony of Peter and John. Really a man's testimony is not his words. It's that which is produced by the words he teaches. If men and women are not born again, A man could say, Well, he's always preaching salvation. He may always be preaching it, but he certainly hasn't tapped any power because if he if he preached it, really preached it, people would get what? Born again, saved, and that's the testimony. You have men filled with the Holy Spirit. You hear them speaking in tongues, interpreting, prophesying, operating word of knowledge, wisdom, discerning the spirit, faith, miracles, and healing. That's the proof. This man was their testimony. He had been healed. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to go out of the consul, the Sanhedrin, the leaders conferred among themselves, verse 16, saying, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we can, what? cannot deny it. The word notable is the great word in that verse. These men who were heads of the Sanhedrin had seen many miracles. They had seen firewalkers. They had seen the old rope trick. They had seen what you and I know today and refer to today as spiritualism and its operations. They had seen these people who said President so and so will die at such and such a time. They had seen all that. The key is the word notable, because here was a miracle that was different. Here was a miracle that was so much bigger and so much more than they had ever seen under these other so-called teachers. This is why, people, they asked him by what name or by what power. You see why? They had seen these other firewalkers. They had seen these people who said, well, the president's going to die at such and such a time. So-and-so's going to happen to Maggie Muggins and Susie Q's going to do this. They had seen all, but this word notable and everybody skips over it because the word notable is the key. This was something better and bigger and more wonderful. The same way as they read of Jesus in John chapter 9 when he opened the eyes of a man who was born blind. Remember, Isaiah had prophesied that when this Jesus would come, he would do a notable miracle. And that notable miracle, it would be the doing of that miracle that would prove that he was God's only begotten son, the Messiah, the promised one to Israel. And that is, he said that he would be the first person who would ever open the eyes of a man born blind. And you can read through the Bible from Genesis to Malachi, through Matthew, through Mark, Luke, John, in the gospel. You get to the story finally in John 9 of where Jesus proved his messianic mission. No other place in the Old Testament do you ever read about a man being born blind and getting healed. You read in the Old Testament about a man having leprosy, Naaman, being healed. You read about people who were afflicted by the devil in some other field being healed, but you never read about anybody who was born blind getting healed, but in John 9 you do. Why? Because Isaiah said he'd open the eyes of a man who's born blind. That's a notable miracle. Here was a man who was lame, and this man was delivered by the power of God through the believing of Peter and John, Who had gone to minister that day. And after they were brought before the Senadrin. They finally put them out. And said want to have a little meeting of our own. And they said indeed a notable. Miracle. Hath been done by them. Has been done by whom? By them. Who did it? They did. Peter and who? Did God do it? No the Bible says who did it? Peter and John, that's what it says, that's what it means. But the verses before had told you that they did it by the power of God. First of all, Peter was filled with what in verse 8? Holy Spirit, verse 10, that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, God raised up. We have made this, or this man's been made whole. See it? And yet, had Peter and John not carried out the ministry, had they not done the work, would this man have ever been delivered? Now he'd still been sitting there if he hadn't died by now. Right. Oh, that's tremendous. Why, look at verse 17. But, but let's stop it spreading. <laughs> let's put the quietus on this business. But that it spread no further among the people... Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in that one. That's the They didn't mind mind if they talked about Maggie Muggins or Johnny Jumpup or Snowball Peter, Henry Belocco. They didn't mind whatever they talked about except one name, the name of Jesus. And they would never have needed to fear that name had it not been that God did one thing. Raised him. That's why there's power in that name. Just name Jesus. There are a lot of Jesuses. The word Jesus is the Hebrew word Joshua. The Old Testament Joshua is the same word as the word Jesus in the New. There were a lot of Jesuses. Like there are a lot of Marys today. A lot of Pauls. A lot of Victors. A lot of Johns. A lot of Henrys. So there were a lot of Jesuses. Joshua's in the days. But this one's special. Why? Because God raised him what? That's it. So they they just didn't want him to want Peter and John to speak in that name. They didn't mind if they used the name Henry or Mary or anything, but not the name of Jesus. Now that just doesn't mean speaking it on your lips, but what he represented. Don't you understand? That whenever they used that name, they used all the power in it. That's what they didn't want. (laughs) <laughs> Peter and John answered and said unto them, We'll carry out what you've ordered. After all, you're the bosses. You're the head of our denomination. Got to carry it out. Nope. Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you judge. That's something? For we cannot, verse 20, we cannot. But speak the things which we have seen and heard. Boy, when you get to that place, you've moved. Most people will continue to speak the things which they know are contrary to God's word, even though you've shown them the accuracy of God's word. They'll still go back to stay in alignment and harmony with society or with the group of people with whom they want to meet. Oh, Peter and John didn't. They said, you be the judge. Whether it's more important we speak what God said or you said. And they said, we cannot, we just cannot speak anything but the things which we have seen and which we have heard. Isn't that tremendous? So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finally turned them loose, finding nothing, verse 21, how they might punish them because of the what? For all Those people who had believed the 5,000 and others glorified God for that which was what? Amen. That's something? Verse 22. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was shown, or it was done, on whom this miracle was done. And there is the key. The man was how old? They never give a man's age in the Bible unless he is a dignitary. The age of a Raja or the age of a prince is known. But the age of the average person in the Bible lands and in the East to this day is not known. Why? Because they always say that God knows, so why do I have to know? This is why men like Dr. Lamza could never tell you exactly when he was born. He may have said a date finally and said, so "Well, I was born September the 12th, such and such a time, but he really doesn't know because they never keep the accurate date of the time when a person's born unless he is a prince, one who is to rule, a rajah, This is how I know that this man was how old? Above 40? And this is why he was in that aristocratic group of rajas or princes and he would not have needed to have been laid at the temple gate beautiful because his daddy was poverty stricken and couldn't afford to keep him. His father could have kept him. He was royalty. Secondly, he never would have laid him at this temple gate had he been poverty stricken. They would have had to take him around the other gates of the city, not the temple gate, beautiful. He was laid at the temple gate, beautiful, because he was of an important family. He was the family of a prince or a raja, one with great dignity. This is why it gives his age. Verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, when, the, when the, their own company heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Verse 26. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, the word child is the word servant, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, verse 29. By the way, this is the first prayer in the Bible after the day of Pentecost. First prayer that's listed. That doesn't mean they didn't pray before, but this first one's written in the Bible after the day of Pentecost. Behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak. Thou what? That's a tremendous prayer. To pray for something more of the same stuff you had that got you in trouble to begin with. Isn't it? What got them into trouble? They took note of their boldness. And they marveled that they were unlearned and ignorant. They must have been with Jesus. And this very boldness got them into trouble. Then they come back to the prayer meeting and what do they pray for? More of the same stuff that got them into trouble to begin with. That's something. You've got to really be convinced of your product to pray like that. Ordinarily you'd have prayed for a vacation. Go fishing. That oh Lord, we had an awful time in Jerusalem with those unbelievers. Now, Lord, you know we did your work there. And if you don't mind, Lord, I'd like to go to the lake fishing for a week or two. And, Lord, if it's really all right with you, just change my location. You call me, Lord, to go to a new community and a new church, Lord. I can't stand the pressure over here any longer. (laughs) No. They prayed that with all boldness they may speak what? The word. That's what they prayed. Not to speak their own experiences or their theologies or their background but to speak one thing people what the word because faith cometh all by hearing and hearing one thing the words and their prayer was Lord give us more boldness to preach the word to preach the word tremendous Got they prayed for it. by stretching forth verse 30 thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name. They had threatened them and said don't use what? The name. And the men said to the men of the center and Peter and John said to them are we going to are you asking us to go by what you say or by what God says? And when they get back to the prayer meeting they pray for boldness to speak the word and to speak in what? The name. Were they disobedient to the Sanhedrin? Definitely. But they were obedient to whom? And you've got to make up your own mind. Whether you're going to be obedient to what people say. When that which people says, that which they say is contradictory to that which God says. You've got to make up your own mind whether you're going to go by what people say or whether you're going to go by the word of God. You make up your mind. You have freedom of will. These men had freedom of will. They made up their mind not to go by what the... Were they disobedient? Definitely. Definitely. Because the synodron, Caiaphas, Annas, the elders, the leaders, were wrong. They did not go by what the leaders said when they were wrong. They went by what God said. Who is right? Who is a leader above every leader? For even though the so-called leaders set that stone, the builders rejected that stone. He, God, made him that chief cornerstone. For God is bigger than any human ruler. Verse thirty-one. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Now that doesn't mean every time you pray, the place is going to shake. This was a phenomenon. It's God's business. Boy, if this happened in most places, when you pray today, you'd have more funerals. You wouldn't have anybody left. they would all get scared to death. Because we're, so, we're so unacclimatized to God doing anything. Now when we find some place where God flew in a little bit we sometimes wonder what's going on. Must be counterfeit. They were all filled with no article talking about the gift. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with what? Did the threatening of those leaders deter them? No. They were not acclimatized any longer to what people thought what the community said what society said they had acclimatized themselves to the revelation that God had given in his son Jesus Christ and they had conditioned their lives according to that I said to you earlier tonight once talking about Dr. Williams how this might take him two or three years you know why it would take him two or three years because because To break with society. The average person in our society today takes him two or three years. Didn't take those boys two or three years. Why? Because they believed God's word was right then and there. That's right. Still going to fasten that thing up there sometimes. You know why it takes us so long to getting to walk on God's word? Because we don't want to really walk on it. We're looking for every excuse to get out of it. These men had just as much to overcome, didn't they? They had a little more. They had a lot of persecution. They got thrown in jail. A lot of other things. They had as much to overcome as I have or you have. Then why could they do it so quickly? Because they were convinced. They had seen. They had heard. Well, people, have you not seen? Have you not heard? This is why it gives the record here. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the key. But there's more to it than just being filled. If you went through it said they believed. When the rulers of the Senadrin frightened them, they didn't frighten. When the rulers tried to scare them, they didn't scare. The early churchmen who moved the Word of God across the known world that day, and had they not moved it, you and I wouldn't have the gospel today. Those men walked everywhere with boldness and preaching the Word in season and out of season, which means it was always in. Always the Word and nothing but the Word. And the reason they changed is because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they believed. A person can be filled with the Holy Spirit and still take 20 years until he makes up his mind God's right. What you want to waste your life for? Make up your mind whether God's word is right or wrong. If it's wrong, have it over with. If it's right, believe it. And condition your life to walk on that word. If you and I don't do this, the world will again will not hear the word. It takes men and women born again of God's spirit filled with the Holy Spirit with a renewed mind who are bold and who stand on the word and preach that word and teach it in season and out of season. Our responsibility is faithfulness to God's word. It is God's responsibility to make that word Produce the results when we present it. Understand? Even as it was in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4. This is the greatness of God's word. And God is still doing this. God is still healing men and women. He is still setting men and women free. But this is one segment of the word. And it was a literal, physical healing of a man who was about or over 40 years of age. Right? Isn't that tremendous? Had you been sick for 40 years? Had I been sick for 40 years with the same sickness? Would you have much faith? Would I have much faith To believe to be healed after 40 years. Some of us get sick one week and we we got an awful time believing to get healed then. Here was a man over 40 years of age who had never been able to walk. I tell you, I'm not going to take more time to teach this because I was only interested in generally covering the chapter. But think about it sometime. When that man was healed, he must have believed